Hey everyone, this is Sono. And I'm Amit, and you're listening to Moon Speak. I'm a magical girl semi-rookie, and Sono is a vet. Uh, so prepare yourself to be enchanted as we delve into each act. And this week we're going to be discussing uh, Sailor Moon Crystal Act 13, Final Battle Reincarnation. And uh, before we get into our actual discussion, just like to put out a reminder to go ahead and keep uh, watching the show on Hulu and Crunchyroll and all the other sites that are uh, releasing it for uh, audiences around the world, really. Yeah. But, yeah. Okay, so, yes, here we go. Um, yeah, let's just go right into the meat and veggies of this. Um, so, how will the... Uh, Legendary Silver Crystal protect Usagi while she's in uh, inside of Queen Barrel. Like, didn't really uh, I, make sense I for me, it's, I guess. It's a source of infinite power fueled by love. It's basically just, you know, a genre thing. <laughs> setting, okay. setting, setting a precedent in the, the early 90s for all of the magical girls to come. Uh, that's fair. I can accept that. Um... What's funny, though, about that, you know, that it's fueled by love, um, I guess, whatever, the love, the magic inside of it also fed Beryl and protected Usagi, which if it's infinite, I guess it can do both, so that's fine. Yeah, it's, like, we're, we're told pretty frequently, like, this thing can do pretty much whatever it wants, and might slightly have some will of its own, to an extent, so it yeah, just kind yeah, of did I, what I it had to. Right. Yeah, it did definitely seem like that because it, you know, grew up, grew around Usagi to protect her, and it seemed like Beryl thought, like, oh yeah, this is awesome. I'm unlocking it and absorbing all its power, and it's opening up for me. But really, I think it was that it was protecting Usagi and and Mamoru, of course. Yeah. Um, that's, so uh, that's the goal. Anyway, <laughs> um, I gotta say, uh, dang, uh, Natalia siphoned the power from the. Um, from the Sailor Guardians and their like huge planetary attacks, I think, or like their yeah, their, they're they're I don't big want to say kinda, final attacks. They're but... big kind of group attack. And I mean Metalia yeah, did that... have the, the silver crystal at that point. And it kinda makes me wonder if their powers are filtered through the crystal at all. Or if the pens are drawing directly on the planets. I can't I am not sure if it has ever been uh, confirmed as one way or the other. But either way, Metalia currently has a source of infinite power, so she could probably counter anything from the outside pretty easily. Yeah, I, I guess it's like uh, launching a nuke into the sun, right? Yeah, Nothing's gonna you're not going to get very far with that. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so uh, Luna's heartache at um, failing Queen Serenity and her pleading for help was so, so well executed. Uh, Luna, Luna wrecked me this episode. A lot more than <laughs> I expected. I probably got more emotional over Luna, like desperately pleading to someone who doesn't even exist anymore for help that wasn't going to come than really anything else in the episode. Because, I mean, hmm. when Queen Serenity was around, she never faltered. She was kind of the end-all, be-all to set everything right, no matter the cost, like even at the cost of her own life the last time this happened. And that's still very deeply ingrained in Luna, who wasn't resurrected the way that everyone else was. Uh, she and Artemis both weren't resurrected. They were just kind of shipped off to Earth. So, like, all she could think is that some bit of serenity might still be there, like she was with that message, and might be able to set it right again. She was just so desperate to save Usagi, and it it really got to me. 
I really like the idea or the the focus that you brought to the fact that um, she and Artemis were living and um, like they were just put into stasis uh, and it wasn't that uh, they were reincarnated and that might have like a different that might give a different weight to those memories that she's got. Yeah, so like there's the two of them are still very much living their old lives. They aren't born into these new lives the way the girls were with these kind of new identities and new families, new friends, new surroundings. The two of them are basically transplants from the moon coming in being and still kind of have the weight of that old trauma on them. Yeah, and just that's a really a really cool thing. I mean, it sucks for them. Yeah, but, <laughs> but it's a good it's a good story angle, and I just really love Luna. This episode was good to her. Yeah, which which is cool. Um, so uh, I, I'm wondering, like, what in the world? Uh, it's not what I put in my notes, but what in the world does Mattelia want? Like, she just causes destruction and sorrow. Yeah, apparently, th- no, that's and pretty that much it. She's just okay. a big jerk that fell out of the sun. Oh, all right. That's that's pretty much all there is to her. Uh, we didn't really get the exposition that she came out of like a weird sunspot, because uh, again, they skipped over that in favor of <laughs> because it's Sailor Moon Crystal. Yeah, in favor of that awkward scene. Uh, in favor of all of the awkward uh, senshi night stuff. They skipped right. over the exposition of Beryl being possessed by Natalia, and that Natalia came from a weird sunspot. But yeah, no big jerk that fell out of the sun. That's pretty much what we're dealing with. Okay, I'm um, I'm down with that. I gotta say, uh, and I like that. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I really like the idea of the sunspot, her falling out of the sunspot. Like just you saying that sounds super cool, and I think. That would be a fun idea to to play around with, I think. Yeah, it, it definitely anyway. it it is. It was a really interesting flashback, and again, like I said last time, I'm really disappointed they decided to cut that out in favor of something a lot less interesting, and you know, narrative related. Right. Um, okay, so. Uh... You talked about, you know, death and uh, a lot of death being in the previous series, but here we have, you know, the senshi sacrificing themselves to save Usagi, and uh, I thought that was pretty awesome. Yeah, no, this was done really well. I wasn't totally on board with, like, in the middle of their fight, these kind of deus ex machina lights falling out of the sky, <laughs> like, triggering these happy memories. It's like, why can't, why couldn't they just remember that on their own? That, right. like nothing happened where they wouldn't be able to just be like, oh man, no, we need to save Usagi. Remember all the cool stuff we've done with her? So I felt that kind of weakened the moment a little, but just the girls being able to get up and kind of draw on that strength and how much they care about Usagi and each other, and that was really cool. And even though they failed, they were really putting their all into it right up into the end, and Again, I had mentioned how this was done in the first series, where they kind of went down one by one. And I do like that a lot better, but this was still, for a lot of things that Crystal fumbled, they handled this really well. Mamoru's watch saved Usagi, which was uh, very interesting. 
this was very cute and very fairy tale, but it was animated very, very awkwardly. Because the watch wasn't really anywhere near where she struck herself with the sword. And I know they're, they were mimicking, directly mimicking the posing in the manga, but it kind of took me out a bit that the sword shouldn't have hit the watch, because the watch was up by her chest and the sword was down by her stomach. And it didn't really make a whole lot of sense as to how this happened. Uh, yeah, I can definitely see that being a problem. Um, I did like, though, the fact that it, um, I don't like this went from, uh, being a pretty close, um, like Romeo, 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 jeez, uh, Romeo and Juliet analog to being like a total inversion of that, and that it's by these little, you know, by the deus ex that each of them gets, basically. And I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I, I do like that there was something that actually, like, prevented them from dying instead of having to kind of deus ex them back to life. Like, that I that I did like. It's just, it, the animation itself handled it a bit awkwardly. But, it, like I said, it was still very cute. It a, it's still a very nice story element. Yeah, and I, I can't deny, I'm not going to defend the animation, it, it, the angles were, you know, bad, it, it didn't look anything like that. And it's funny though, because I know, I remember her wearing Mamoru's watch um, around her neck, uh, but yeah, you're right, it's like up, it's up, it's not... It's it's <laughs> not anywhere near her, her stomach, like I know she'd had it in her pocket in her school uniform a couple of times, but that's not where it was for this. Yeah, and I think something... I don't know, like, <laughs> as much as I was okay with it, I also feel a little bit deceived because, um, like, it didn't, I don't know, just why would she fall over dead and why would he fall over dead-ish or looking dead if, you know, it just struck this or that, which, I don't know, maybe maybe the animation was cheating or maybe I'm not being generous enough, but I, I don't know. Uh, who knows? Um, and, like, <laughs> it, it was such a small item that I don't, I mean, it's it clearly stopped the sword by love magic, but <laughs> right. the, the watch itself was not supposed to be magical, so I don't really know how it did that. But, yeah. you know, well, it's also magic that it somehow got down to her stomach, so whatever. <laughs> yeah, pick, pick your complaint, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so uh, I would argue that Metalia's arrogance got her killed, which I thought was pretty boss. Um, she tried to absorb the surprisingly alive Usagi, and instead of making sure she was dead, and then she just got taken out. So, that was cool. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I don't think Metalia initially had much reason to think Usagi was still alive when she and Mamoru were absorbed. They were on the ground looking pretty dead. <laughs> somehow. But, uh, yeah. once Metalia found out, like, when Usagi was awake and alive inside of her, instead of, like, taunting her until Usagi realized she should she could break out, Metalia should have just kind of killed her then and there. But such is the weakness of a final boss. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're so close to the end, and you've waited so long. I mean, we'd probably all gloat, too, probably. a little bit. I, I'd be a terrible villain. Because <laughs> I'd do that. I'd just be laughing at everyone. I don't have time. <laughs> oh, that's so great. Uh, so, uh, next is, um, I really liked Sigma Knights again, uh, even with all my problems that I had with them. Um, 
like I, I referenced earlier, there's stones that Mamoru somehow magically had. I mean, I guess he did say, uh, I have these four. Um, but still, it was a little bit of a letdown. As much as I liked yeah, it. Yeah, like, he, I wasn't surprised that he had them, but it was such... Just a lot of things about this scene really bugged me, like uh, them telling Mamoru how to beat Metalia, and then he passes that information on to Usagi. Why is that information being passed down, like, through the guys here? How do they even know that? Like, why couldn't we have had Luna figure that out? Like, maybe Serenity is still there and be like, hey, Luna, it's the thing on her forehead, go tell Usagi that. Like, in the manga, he still has the stones, and that is what happens, but they just sort of show up and they're like, oh man, we're glad we got to see you, like, with none of us being possessed before the four of us died. Okay, so now we're dead, see you later. Without, like, passing on that exposition, they don't tell him that in the manga. So, if we're deviating anyway, I don't see why we couldn't have given this exposition to someone else, like Luna, who was so incredibly desperate to help that would have that just would have been a nice thing for her and the story is supposed to be about the girls and this episode took a lot away from them like the reason that usagi gets out is because she begs the crystal to take her back to her friends and so she can help them and then you know they get out and we don't even see them anywhere they're just kind of in this yeah. empty crater so this moment, this whole back end of the episode really becomes about Mamoru, and I guess that's kind of the plot, the whole miracle romance thing, but the girls sacrifice their lives, and they make a really big deal out of that, and then it's treated like it doesn't really matter. Nothing is ever made to it. Like, she remembers that they exist for a second when she's having these doubts about her own strength, but there's never this moment of they sacrifice themselves for me, I can't let them down, they're dead. And she doesn't really grieve for them at all, and it was really frustrating. Hmm. Um, I can see that, uh, but for some reason... I liked it. I'm wondering if uh, it's because of my, I don't know, lack of familiarity with the rest of the series, or I don't know. Maybe <laughs> I have like some weird uh, like gender bias. It's like, oh yeah, look at the dudes doing something. I, I really don't know. Um, I should dislike it more than I do, but uh, I don't. Um, uh, another thing I like is, uh, well, I mean, this is going against what you said, but I'm just, you know, I'm here representing my opinions, and you're representing yours. Yep. So, uh, I, I like that Mamoru tells Usagi she has everything she needs um, after she had such great self-doubt and uh, wanted to have help from everyone else. Um, he reminded her to have faith in herself, and she was able to face Natalia. And that sounds really inspirational and important to me uh, for you know the girls watching this show. You know, this who might identify with Usagi. Th this was really sweet, even if uh, the way he phrased one line was, "If if your power isn't strong enough, you can have mine." I for some reason that bothered me a little, but not enough where it really kind of took me out of how sweet the scene was because he really was. You can do this. You've worked right. this hard. You you have the power to do this. But and I do like that. I was. 
I just kind of found myself once again wishing that the the girls were there. Like, we got to have the spirits of the knights show up. Why couldn't we have, again, deviate a little, have the girls then show up behind Mamoru and support his statement? Like, have him go yeah. through his whole thing and then have all of them be like, yeah, we're, we agree with this. You can do this, Usagi. You can have our power, too. Right. Because, again, that's a little bit what the first series did with all of them being like, even though we're gone, our power is still here. We're still here to support you. I just feel really bad how little the girls were acknowledged in this episode. Yeah, I, I can't argue with that. Um, okay, so moving on to the frills. Uh, I gotta wonder, is Artemis somehow imbued with magic, unlike Luna? Because, I mean, there's another guy getting one over on the girl. Well, Artemis and Luna are completely 100% on par with each other. They're the same species of weird magic space cat from... I mean, if Crystal ever makes it all the way to stars, we get a little more explanation on where they came from. But they're pretty much equal as far as space cat magic goes. Um, I think it might just be that Luna was really badly injured, so couldn't really Mm. send herself to the moon. She needed Artemis, who hadn't just thrown himself at a giant mass of evil to do it. And I think the, like, the reason she couldn't do it on her own before is because probably transporting two cats is a lot easier than a cat and five human-sized people. Yeah, no, that's a good point. So I think maybe just in this case, it was just, I am way too injured to do this. Artemis, I need you to get me to the moon. <laughs> right. Because, uh, again, they're pretty much equal. They just had different jobs uh, in the Silver Millennium, where Luna was kind of a direct advisor to Serenity and Princess Serenity, where Artemis uh, acted as more of an advisor to Venus and uh, the other Senshi. Okay, I can uh, I can dig that. Yeah, I, I guess, you know, as much as, uh, as dramatic as it was and as crazy as it was, um, seeing Luna get beat up a little bit... Uh, I mean, she got thrashed, really. Yeah, no, and uh, she she I, went head-on at Metalia, who right now is, like, who had the Silver Crystal at that point still, didn't she? Yeah, yeah, she did. Yeah, so, I, Luna Luna didn't really have the strength to get there on her own. Yeah, and, like, I don't know, that, that, I, I can definitely see the, uh, your thought that she was totally awesome in this episode, because she was, I mean, she was amazing. Um, uh, it, also adorable um, <laughs> in the scene where she's at like the prayer chamber on the moon and she's like pawing up the giant crystal. Um, I thought that was like really, I mean, it was sad for her, but it was really precious looking and it was very authentically feline. So yeah, that made me happy. Luna pawing at the relic in the prayer chamber just ripped out my heart and stomped it into the dirt. <laughs> and it may be because I'm a lifelong cat mom, so I'm very sensitive to uh bonds between cats and people in media. If you have, like, a person with a cat friend in something, I am pretty much all over it. Uh, <laughs> I, Which is probably why I've had this lifelong love of Luna and Artemis. But it was just such a heart-wrenching moment for me. Because Luna just had so much guilt over, like, mm. the past couple episodes of trying to keep Usagi away from Mamoru, even if she was doing it to protect Usagi. And she had all this guilt over not being able to protect Usagi this time and back in the Silver Millennium. And it's this one thing that Queen Serenity asked of her is to just 
protect Usagi, and there was a flashback to that that ripped my heart out, of Queen Serenity just sitting here with Luna on her lap, just petting her, being like, hey, just take care of my daughter. And yeah. Luna wasn't able to do it. So just this small moment of Luna asking Artemis to take her to the moon just really got me. And just, it took me out for a second because it seemed a little weird that Artemis could do it effortlessly. Because I just, mm-hmm. I didn't think about it until kind of a couple seconds later. I'm like, okay, yeah, Luna's really hurt. So she probably can't get herself to the moon. And it's notable how Luna and Artemis were in this situation, because it's really the opposite of how they normally are, where Luna was, like, drowning in her own emotions in this scene, and Artemis just kind of played it straight and stayed grounded, because that's what Luna needed. Uh, Where Luna's usually very strict and serious, and no matter how attached she is to the girl, she's like, this is our mission and this is what we've got to do. Where Artemis is generally a little more kind of fun and loose with things because he's been with Minako, who is very much like that. But Luna's just so scared and desperate and Artemis keeps trying to, like, keep her on her feet, get her to the moon, let her get through these emotions because he knows if she's going to break this down, if she's going to really break down like this, she must really be feeling awful. So he's just going to kind of do what he can for her. No, even though the situation really seems hopeless. Yeah. Um, man, that's good. Good stuff. Yeah. And about a, a, a magical lunar space cat guy. Yeah. I mean, that's so cool. <laughs> I, again, life lifelong love of Luna and Artemis, so I got really, really emotional over over Luna and kind of ha- just how emotional Luna was in this episode. Because it's such a it's such a rare thing for Luna to get that emotional. Uh, yeah, and I, I mean, the only my only disappointment is um, I would like to see more of Artemis because I don't. Yeah, Crystal really he really got the short end of the stick in Crystal. He hasn't done much of anything. Does he show up in uh, uh, Sailor V? Uh, does, he should. He should be in Sailor V, because he was with her then. Um, okay. I need to. I haven't read the Sailor V manga in a while, but uh, the first series does a lot more with him. So again, I'd recommend that. Right. Ah, uh, well. Um, I don't know. Do you? Uh, do you have more you want to say? Because uh, I'm. I mean, I, I have a couple things I could say, but I'm, I'm just not sure uh, uh, where we should be going next. I mean, go ahead and say what you're thinking okay um like going back to romeo and Juliet, i'm really happy that uh like this didn't end in double suicide or you know her her having to kill mamaru and then her killing herself uh because like it was okay with that story having been repeated basically in silver millennium and you know the flashback we got to that um the war you know, that, that first war of Beryl against the Moon Kingdom. Um, like, that worked for me, and I thought it was interesting and, and cool. Um, and, again, I have no problem with people going back to Romeo and Juliet, because I think Shakespeare's awesome, and particularly that story. Um, but it was it was really... I was really satisfied that there was the twist on it. Um, and uh, that's not exactly how it happened in the manga, right? Um, 
it, in the manga, it was still the watch blocked it and the stones blocked it. So it wasn't, uh, okay. it was basically, but there, again, there were a fair amount of deviations. Uh, Mamoru wake, when Mamoru wakes up, he can't see anything, uh, for hmm. a while, which makes me wonder how they're going to handle the conclusion to that. But, um, I do like that it didn't end with them dying and then having to resurrect again, uh, kind of in completely new lives. Because it, it would have felt kind of, it completely repeating what happened in the Silver Millennium would have kind of detracted from the meanings that the story is, kind, is trying to put out now, where it's, we, we refuse to live that tragedy again. Right. And, like, when Usagi realizes that the watch blocked it, she's like, that's right, we, we can do it this time. We're not, we're not going to live that again. And I think for a few minutes she, she kind of forgot that, and that's why she struck him and turned the sword on herself, because she kind of forgot that she had other options. Now, uh, by the end of the episode, Natalia isn't truly sealed. It's just Usagi's preparing to, and she does like the super moon stick thing with the, with the legendary silver crystal in the middle of it, looking like a crown, which is, yeah. uh, like, like that's just hitting all my buttons right there. Um, super cool. Uh, and I guess that'll be like, I don't know, the fact that the next episode starts the black moon arc, um, like really makes me wonder how exactly she's going to seal Natalia and it makes me think it's not going to be a clean a clean break. Um it's a lot of there's going to be the whole sealing of Natalia and then there's a lot of conclusion stuff and then uh the beginning of Black Moon. The beginning of Black Moon is going to be really towards the end of the episode. Um I I forgot how how much carried over into chapter 14. I went and re- reread it before uh, we started recording this cuz I honestly couldn't remember. I could have sworn that they clean, that they kind of made the clean break in 13, but they actually transitioned to the next arc pretty smoothly. Hmm. Okay. Well, that would be interesting to see kicks. Yeah, you know, I want all that uh Like I I'm really curious as to what exactly could be next. Um because when we started, I don't think I imagined that, uh, like a world, I don't know, like a world destroying, uh, you know, crazy entity would be behind this and that that's what, you know, Usagi and her friends would have to face. So, like, where do you go from a thing that can wipe out an entire planet with its, like, I don't know, insatiable greed for destruction? All sorts of places. Okay. <laughs> uh, Black Moon. The Black Moon arc is going to go uh, into a lot of new places. Um, we're we're going to start. We're going to be introduced to a new character by the end of fourteen. Okay. Uh, who I'm not going to give name a name to because that might be slightly spoilery. Okay. But uh, That's when fair. when we get there, it's going to be it's going to be very interesting. I'm very curious to see how uh, some of the Black Moon arc is handled. We're going to have some interesting things to discuss uh, from what I remember. Hmm. Well, that's always good. 
So uh, the, uh, the second half of Crystal should bring us through the Black Moon arc, and then I'm wondering uh, if they're going to do any more beyond that. Because we've still got a couple... We still have a couple more story arcs beyond Black Moon. Now, I'm guessing... And, yeah, well, I'll just ask straight out. Uh, did you... The Sailor Moon manga completed its run when? Um, 90... I guess in the States. Oh, it... When... I'm not sure, because I'm not sure uh, when in relation to the show it was brought over here. Okay. But I know the original manga itself would have been completed, I think, probably 95 or 96. Hmm, Okay. That late, I'm surprised. Or I think... yeah, that's weird that it's taken so long to localize the manga. I guess though it's well, long, we we so, did have but... we did have it localized over here back okay. in back in the nineties. I think back then it was oh. localized kind of by chapter instead of uh, okay. instead of like five four or five chapter volumes, kind of like it is now. Right. Uh, I believe it was Tokyo Pop putting it out, or uh... and the translation was totally different, right? Yeah. The translation like was, Usagi was, Usagi was actually called Bunny in it. Isn't yeah, right? they did call her. They did call her Bunny. Uh, they did stick mostly with kind of with with the original names uh, as opposed to the somewhat changed dub names uh, okay. that the series got. But uh, other, I Ami might have just been Amy. They may have done that for both. Right. Um, but I think uh, Makoto and Minako still had their names. It's been a long time. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm, I'm I really read... digging back on this. Yeah, I read a tiny bit of uh, of the one where she was called Bunny. And I was like, "Oh, really, Bunny? That's just, that's a weird name." <laughs> um, and I, then it turns out that she's actually Usagi. So yeah. um, I guess it isn't that weird. <laughs> Or it's it's equally strange. I'm not sure how to quantify that. Though thinking of the manga, I'm cu- I'm curious as to if they're going to do, if they do continue Crystal beyond Black Moon. I wonder if they're going to adapt uh, an issue of the manga that was originally the second theatrical movie uh, that Naoko mm-hmm. ended up doing. I can't remember if the they did the if she did the manga first or if she did the manga off of the movie, but I'm wondering if... I'm curious as to whether or not they'll adapt that. Is this the the uh, one that you've mentioned before where um, Makoto is showing them uh, how she bakes cookies? No, no, that's uh, the third movie. The second movie is about Luna. Um, it's oh. a it's a weird movie. They're all a little weird, but that's... the This movie is, in, is weird in not exactly a good way. Okay. But uh, I would... Visually, I'd like to see it. Who who knows how you'll actually like it, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of that story in general, because, again, it's it's pretty weird and not in a good way. Whereas uh, (laughs) the, the movie where Makoto helps everyone bake cookies is weird, but in kind of an endearing way. In that it makes no sense, but it's still kind of a fun movie. Okay. Oh, I've seen enough Common Rider movies to uh, be able to roll with it, I think. Yeah. Yeah. 
enough movie wars where nothing really needs to make sense. I mean, we've all watched Oh's Wonderful. Yes, this is true. I love, I love Oh's Wonderful, unironically. I enjoyed that movie thoroughly. No, it really is pretty fantastic. That, that's a fun movie. Uh, climax yeah, Decker. Just don't think about, just don't think about all the technicalities. And oh yeah, don't, don't think about anything. You know, it's wonderful. Just, just go along for the ride. And Oh's Wonderful did give us the greatest music video in the history of the world. Oh, which one is that? Uh, the one where they're all dancing on the barge, and Ankh doesn't want to dance because he doesn't know how to dance. Oh, how funny. I don't think I've seen that one. Oh, uh, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dig that up for you, because that's beautiful. <laughs> that is a masterpiece. Yeah. Yes, sorry, um, you know, Sailor Moon Crystal fans who aren't into Common Rider at all, but uh, you should be. Those, uh, Go for it, yeah, please. Well, make it good make I, the I, jump. <laughs> yeah, I, I think actually, um, being a fan of Common Rider really opened me up to enjoying Sailor Moon, because, um, like in the first couple episodes, uh, Usagi definitely seemed like, uh, with her fan, with her fan love uh, for um, Sailor V, it reminded me very much of. Uh, like me and Commander, so I was like, oh yeah, I totally identify with this girl. Yeah, it's... I mean, if... I mean, if you want to, you could start making the jump to Super Sentai, which is kind of similar in format, where you've got your kind of Monster of the Week, your team of fighters, all with a specific element or specific power, and then make the jump to Common Rider, which kind of boils down further... Even though Common Rider was first, so it's uh, not not quite boiling down from one thing to another, but <laughs> right, they just give you a different feel. Yeah, that's all. Um, what do I have this thing tagged as? <laughs> what are you looking up? I'm looking up this video. Oh, the video. Okay. Oh. Uh, yeah, you'll have to link that to me separately. But um, I will. Yeah, I this think is maybe, uh... a masterpiece. <laughs> Uh, I think maybe uh, it's time to draw to a close. Uh, yes, yes. Because I'm just going to keep trying to find this video. But uh, okay. next time we're coming to the complete end of Dark Kingdom. We're going to be starting Black Moon. We're going to be meeting a new character who is has always been a little bit controversial in the fandom. Oh boy. It's a love-hate relationship there. Uh We'll eventually be getting another new character. I forget exactly how far along before she comes in, but it's going to be some good times coming up. Hmm. Well, that'll be... I don't know. Uh, yeah, this should be interesting, and um, hopefully... Uh, I guess I'll just close by saying the only thing I hope is that uh, by the end of the series I'll be crying uh, as much as I was watching this one, because uh, I, I got pretty teary. So, And that made me happy. Yes, teary in a good way. Yeah, exactly. It was great stuff. So, um, yes, goodbye, everybody. Thank you for listening. Yeah, see you next time, everyone. If you'd like to comment on our thoughts or ask any questions, you may send correspondence to our inbox, trialofheroes at gmail.com. Or we can be reached individually at Sony Your Face and at Trial of Heroes on Twitter. We hope you enjoyed the show, and thank you for listening. The opening and closing for this episode was performed by Josh Agarado, whose work can be found on YouTube and at josh.agarado.net. Please check out all the cool music there. Visit trialofheroes.wordpress.com to see text reviews every Monday after Crystal airs and hear New Moon speak just about every Monday after that. 
subscribe to our brand new dedicated RSS feed where you'll only get Moonspeak, or through the new iTunes feed just for Moonspeak, or through uh, Stitcher when that has actually gone live, so that you can keep up with every episode of Moonspeak as it releases. Moonspeak is part of the Toll Network, putting heroes on trial because someone has to.